Hey y'all, this is Seba, the Southern Fried Witch. I am recording this the day after the fall equinox because I'm going to be on vacation, y'all. And so you're going to hear me repeat a few things like, for instance, somebody drank too much at the equinox. Love y'all. Here it is. Today I am feeling my age, y'all. We had a little pre-fall equinox gathering out here last night and I got to meet some really cool people but it turns out I no longer can hold my own I cannot hang someone brought some damn fine sangria and um, may have had a little bit too much of that and stayed up a little too late and breathed in just a little too much campfire smoke so I'm suffering And I do see that the month is um, upon us right here. We're almost there to October 1st. And of course, in traditional fashion for me, I've overextended myself and booked myself in about, oh, I don't know, five different directions all at once. Y'all excuse the scratchy nature of my voice. This is the best I can do this week. Anyhow, right in the middle of this, I've had, well, an issue crop up outside with my chickens and I know it doesn't seem like it's going to relate but it's going to relate so here we go years ago before that really horrible farmer intentionally gave us Merrick's disease which is um, a deadly disease for chickens and some survive it but I digress years ago just a few I thought I was going to start raising Saramas I love all things tiny. I love miniature things and already was into bantam chickens. They're just darling. They're just so sweet. And I thought, well, let's go to Saramas because they're really tiny, manageable. And I was very, very good at hatching out baby chicks. I don't know how much y'all know about um, hatching, but my hatch rate was over 90%. For over two years, and that is, uh, that's almost unheard of. Even if they got stuck in the shell, those ones that they will say, you know, just leave them and they're not going to make it anyway. Yeah, I helped them make it. So I thought, this will be great. I mean, everybody wants a Sarama. They lay an egg almost every single stinking day of their life, and they're um, wonderful to keep because you don't need a lot of space. And they tend to be... Well, at least the ones I raise anyway, they tend to be fairly friendly. And so I went and I got a pair. Mm -hmm. I didn't get just any Saramas. I got hold of a pair of award winners, blue ribbon winners. And because I wanted diversity, I also ordered teeny little Sarama eggs online. And I hatched them out too. And I had 100% hatch rate on that. It's crazy. But those two original ones, that little pair, I named him Preacher. He's about, I think, eight and a half ounces. And his little uh, partner in crime 
She's about seven and a half, but they're miniature. They're so tiny. And uh, Preacher was really sweet. Loved to be handled. And I got a lot of uh, crap out of some of my friends who show Sarama chickens. I reckon they thought I was wasting my opportunity because <laughs> they weren't for show. We weren't going to show them. There's too much risk out there for catching disease. And until this time, I'd been just crazy safe about everything I did until I made that one mistake that I don't feel like getting into today. But I love Preacher, and I love his wife, and um, I think I was just really, really busy that winter, and so I didn't notice. They have a sweet little chicken coop that is cuddled up against our house, and in fact, is built on right there at the back of our chimney. And we have a wood-burning stove, and this is a stone exterior chimney, so it has a lot of residual heat, which even in the deep south, the Sarama needs because they are not from here. They are from Malaysia, and they get cold really easily. And so when um, his little woman started staying more in her coop area, and she would still come down and get food, but she was starting to stay up there all the time. And yeah, I do know about chickens and I know what that usually means, but we were in the middle of, I think it was January. It was freezing cold, well, for us, <laughs> nights that were getting down to the high 20s and we were having to run heat in there. It was a lot going on. And I think I was really busy, but also I think I just sort of hoped that she was like all my other chickens right then. Everybody had gone into a deep, hard molting. Everyone had stopped laying eggs. And so it was cold and she wanted to be in there. And since her partner, Preacher, was going in there with her all the time and standing guard at the door, it was making it very difficult for me to check anyhow. I didn't think there was anything going on, but they were both in there and they were both cold. And uh, I found out the hard way that regardless of the cold and regardless of their nature and regardless of the fact that she was jumping down every day to come get her food and her water and all of that she had hidden an egg and I had looked I I didn't do a good look y'all like I usually do and this is a very deep coop for them but I looked I'd, I'd you know shown my flashlight in there and she had gotten really exhausted with me, taking all of her eggs all the time. She was getting kind of broody like two months before. So I didn't realize. So what she was doing was putting hay over her eggs. Mm -hmm. Then one day I did, I was doing a deeper clean and I felt something hard under the hay. And I pulled two of them out and they were hot. Well, y'all, I'm just not made of that. I'm not made of that. I know some people would just go ahead and dispatch them in the woods, but I can't stand that idea of them dying slowly in the egg because that was what was going to happen. I mean, even a few days in, if you candle them, you can see the veins beginning. And while I'm not a vegetarian, although I flirt with the idea quite often, it's still, it's painful for my heart to do that. I just, uh. I dropped an incubating egg one time, and believe me, it was heartbreaking. So I wasn't into it. Didn't want to leave him out in the cold. Didn't want to do it to her either. It had already gone too long, and her heart would have been broken. So I shoved him back under there, and I told my partner, we're in deep shit. 
And we were mostly in deep shit because of the fact that she was already attached. Okay. And then the other issue was because we knew that the farm had merricks. And it's, um, we thought unlikely that those chicks would live. And so Hatch Day rolled around right in the middle of a deep freeze. And one little tiny booger was born. He was so cute. Oh, my God. Teeny, little thing. Little scrap of a, of a fella that I prayed was a girl. And the others did not hatch. And we did bury them. But this little tiny, I mean, they're already so little. You got to see a Sarama chick. That little thing is a minute. And it grew and grew, and then it started to grow wattles and a comb. And then we were in a deeper pickle because you can't just give away a Merrick's chicken. You can't. They can live, and some can live a long-ass time. You know, when we got this disease, it killed, like, I don't know, about half my flock. All the ones that were under a year died. Nobody survived that. And some of them that were over a year died, I guess, you know, about 10 of them. And the ones that decided to live, we all kind of know it's only probably a matter of time for them. But we give them the best life we can. So I don't want to do that to another flock out there in the world, what was done to me. And by the way, that doesn't traverse the egg. Merix does not go through the egg at all. In fact, it just creates cancer in chickens. That's a very long story to tell you that you're not supposed to have two roosters in a cage like that. Mm-mm, not with only one female. So we didn't know what to do. If he'd been a girl, he could have stayed. It would all have been fine. If we had room to have a pet, I suppose it would have been fine. But because he was also a Sarama, I mean, you can't just leave those outside, honey. They're only a little bit bigger than a blue jay, you know. A hawk is twice its size. So we understood that the only thing we could do is try to find somebody who wanted a pet rooster <laughs> or a farm who already had Merrick's disease, which we do learn to manage, and we could find another. And so day after day, this young fellow grew up out there. It's been a couple of years. His daddy would crow, and he would crow. And his daddy would get a little mad at him, come chase him around the coop a couple of times. But as long as that little boy would get back up on his perch and hush on up, his daddy would be like, that's fine. And so what I'm trying to tell you is I thought the problem was resolved. After all, no one had outright tried to kill each other. A little chase here and there, but that's not necessarily that bad of an issue. And Daddy was making sure that the son didn't uh, take a ride on Mama. So altogether, I don't know, I think I got lulled into some kind of complacency here. I didn't want to put him down. I couldn't rehome him. There was just nowhere to go with this except where it was, and I was hoping things wouldn't get any worse. I also knew that I couldn't have any more babies. So there's that. And I just suppose that the um, natural immunity that the mom had gathered, I've read about this happening, really helped that baby. We also gave him his vaccine. I guess two days after we saw his tiny little nugget ass pop out, 
And we've gotten very good at giving those kind of vaccines, even on itty tiny little birds. So he lived. And a couple of days ago, the dam broke. Um, Now we have to do something that's going to be very hard. I haven't done it yet. I'm still looking around trying to find somebody who would like to rehome him, knowing his condition is very contagious to other chickens. So can't go to a farm that has a chicken. And I'm trying, but we're running out of time on it. We are, so we may have to have a little knot-knot at the vet. My partner found Preacher laying on his side, looking kind of done for and bloody. And um, his son was on top of him and still trying to go at that. He was going to kill him. He was going to kill him. I guess he finally got the balls to do it. And LOL. And it was heartbreaking, but... If my partner hadn't gotten out there right then, it was over. But I know chickens, and I know that they can look okay one day and the next day be gone. So I said, let's wait a couple of days. I get that somebody has to go, but the truth is that she can't be alone. Then she will go absolutely mad. Chickens are social, and she's a special breed, and we can't just, you know, throw her in with big... Anyway... So, for the last two days, we have had that beautiful show. He's a show boy. He really is. Beautiful boy in a cage inside of the coop. And that's no life. That's no life. And we've had him in there just to see if daddy's going to be okay. Daddy does look okay. He has a torn comb. But he's walking, he's talking, and he's crowing. So, that leaves us with having to dispatch his progeny there. And there's nothing we can do about it. And don't at me. I can't think of anything else to do. So, and no, no, I can't eat him. He's like a chicken nugget. So, no, they, they're not for food. Friends, not food. Right, Nemo? Still trying to work that out. And I want y'all to hear me that I am struggling emotionally about it. But our hands are sort of tied. And I know most folks would say, well, just take him out to the woods and be done with it. But, you know, a couple of things. I don't want him to be eaten alive. That sounds horrible. And uh, I don't want him to be scared. I found a vet is extraordinarily expensive, and <laughs> that's usually the way we go. Give him a little not-not shot, and we're out. Yeah, I know. We are not that great at chicken farming. <laughs> we are too soft, y'all. We are too soft. And I know you're probably going, well, what the hell does that have to do with? magic or living or anything oh honey so much it's been years and years and they have been wonderful since I've had to do anything in the way of a call Mm -hmm. but I'm not talking about chickens you know one of the worst things in the world for me was to see that somebody within my circle of friends or whatever, is injuring and hurting and destroying the safety and peace and growth of another person within that same circle. And I've been known to let things rock on too long. Mm -hmm. I have way too long, mostly because I'm a bit of a softie. I don't know if y'all figured that out yet. And here's the thing, until I'm not, I don't know, is that an Aries thing? I don't know. But it kind of feels like it might be. 
I've had so many, I think I've said it before on the podcast, I've had so many friends and uh, loved ones tell me that I'm a bit confusing because I will let someone step over me and on me and I'll have a line drawn in the sand and I will point it out and go, all right now, that's my line in the sand. And then they'll step over it and I'll be like, listen, and I'll give them a good chewing out and a good talking to because I don't know, I just assume they'll eventually respect me (laughs) and then I'll back up a little bit and I'll do another line. I'm like, okay, now, do you understand me? And they're like, yeah, oh, oh, I won't ever do it again. And then they'll step over it again and keep on coming and keep on coming. And I don't know if I just am a spider at heart, but I keep on backing up until they're all the way in the middle of the house. (laughs) And when they're in the house, they're done. Mm -hmm. Of course, I don't absorb them. I just fling them. I just them as far as I can fling them and they are never allowed ever to speak to me again. Isn't that crazy? Why am I like that? The truth is, is I don't like that I'm like that. And so it's one of the things that I want to work on for the coming year. But see, it's like, okay, does that mean that I just ditch somebody after the second offense? And I, I guess it does. Ooh, uh, makes me feel like I'm being a a real mean witch and I don't want to be but I don't know I also don't want to go through this shit ever again because well I've had witches come into my life that I have loved cared for and allowed them well allowed but stood by while other people were saying that they were cruel to them or shitty to them and I'll you know go ask them and be like is that true Oh, no, I love you so much, you know. I've had a lot of situations in which someone I've allowed to come into my my life or even those little surprise someones that come into my life and I kind of get comfortable with them and let them kind of stay there like that little baby rooster, hoping (laughs) that it won't go the way everything in my witchy nature is telling me that shit's going to go. Mm-hmm. Well, it hasn't happened yet is not good enough anymore for my life. It's not. Because if all my spotty senses are going off and because at the end of the day, y'all, if it walks like a rooster and talks like a rooster, it actually might be a damn rooster. Mm -hmm. And one day it might try to kill everything around it. You know, when all the signs are there, why do we keep going through it? Why? I don't know. But I do know it's going to end the same way it always ends. And I'm going to feel bad. I don't know how many animal stories I might decide to tell today, but when I got my sweet Maggie Mae all those years ago, we saved them from a um, kill shelter over a winter that they were threatening to kill them all by midnight. And I showed up, and I forget how many we saved, but it was a ridiculous number. And here at my house, we brought home, I believe it was here at the house, 10, that we brought home. And one of them was the mother of them all, and the other one was a dog named Jean. And she was like a boxer. And Maggie Mae was a pit bull mix, looking more pit than anything. And I want y'all to just go ahead and guess which one was the sweeter one. Shocking, right? That's right, it was Maggie. But I would go into that dog run that we had put them in 
We put one up like in one night with the help of friends and volunteers and um, they had shelter, they had heat, they had hay. We had no other place at the end, but I couldn't let them die. And long after I'd adopted out most of the puppies, my son got one of them. He still lives, you know, near his grandma. But Maggie, I couldn't rehome because she had heartworms and we tried. And Jean, well, we felt like Maggie needed a friend. Now then, every day I would go in there to feed them. The adults were on one side, remaining puppies on the left. Every time I would get this feeling, my skin would literally crawl. The hairs on my arm and my neck right the hell up. I actually remember feeling one time I'd walked all the way in and didn't feel that way. And I was pouring out their food and Jean was looking at me. Just so still, so perfectly still. And for reasons that I didn't understand at the time, I felt what I think might be akin to mortal terror. I know. But I suddenly realized I was in the pen, far from the door, and she was on my way out. She didn't growl, nothing. It was a feeling I got. And I don't want to go far into the details of what happened a few days later, because I honestly feel like it'd be traumatizing for you to know. But I will say it was the most horrific thing I've ever actually witnessed with my own eyes. And I cannot believe Maggie May lived. And I risked my life like a a goofball. I've done that before. I reached for her through that gate as this was going on. And she was laying on her back. And I reached for her and, uh, well, no, I had to go get a fire extinguisher. I got a fire extinguisher. I know, I know, but I I didn't know what to do. And I shot that fire extinguisher at Jean and it made her back off. And I reached in and I grabbed Maggie and I drug her out. I pulled her arm out of the socket by accident because she was a big fat sweetheart. Well, we got that put back in on the right side. And she's, she went on to live a wonderful life, y'all. A wonderful life. We got her stitched up. She let us uh, swaddle her. And probably the most gentle dog I've ever met. I don't think she knew what her teeth were for. But she went on to live. She passed away on us, heartbreakingly, not too long ago. I think the heartworms just did their damage. Um, But on the other hand, Jean did leave the premises. We took her back to um, a shelter, not a kill shelter, but we did also have a letter with us about what had happened so that they would know what not to do with her. And I kind of left it up to them. But no way should any living thing be anywhere near Jean. And no, Maggie hadn't started it. I just don't want to tell you um, how bad it was. I just don't want to do that to you. You see, I knew. Everything in me knew. But, you know, that big old heart of mine, I'm like, well, I don't want to get rid of this. I don't want to send them away. I don't want to. They need love, too. And in both cases, I almost ended up with uh, a dead dog in a dead room. In both cases, because I get a feeling and I know it. I just don't want to know it. You know, it's hard. It also means that confrontation is going to come, hopefully, as respectful as possible, but confrontation is going to come. It's funny, isn't it? 
At the end of the day, what I've done is I've quelled my natural magic. I've quelled the divine voice inside of me that was put there on purpose (laughs) to warn me of danger. And I've told it to do shut the fuck up because I didn't want to deal with it or I was hoping for the best. And I'm sure that you get where I'm going, but this has not played out well when it comes to people at all. Now, again, I haven't had any of this nonsense in my life in a long time. And I just, uh, I'm going to go ahead and claim right now, I'm not going to get any. I walk away too quick these days. <laughs> and maybe, I uh, maybe actually do, you know, walk away a little too quick on deep connections. And, uh, you know, one of those people that can love a little too easily and a little too quickly And it can get me in a lot of trouble. And that's something I think I finally dealt with in my 50s. I wasn't that great about it in my 40s, though. I will warn you right now. Mm Mm-mm. Not at all. But now it's a little bit easier. If that little thing, if that little flag starts to come up, I like to grab that a lot earlier than I used to. (laughs) Save myself a little pain. I think I've told y'all before that my partner was a bouncer when I met him. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. I had not dated, and I don't know when. Um, I think I dated one time in 13 years, and it was a short-lived little two-month jaunt. So when I met him, it was just bam, and I was done. Didn't even care he was a bouncer. And, uh... In fact, it almost was a relief because I was an academic and I was getting very bored of academic talk. I could do that all day long. I wanted something different. Anyhow, he would tell me, you know, I'd come down there to the bar and that was a really cool, crunchy bar, y'all. Oh my God, it was so cool. Especially in a college town, that's hard to find. But the frat boys and the sorority girls didn't tend to go slumming too much over there. So we enjoyed it. (laughs) It's like, do stay out anyway. It feels good here. You'd find more people there with tattoos, you know. But you'd also find the occasional older person. I had a lot of friends there. I knew a lot of folks. And I would come and sit with him. I had this summer off of work, so worked out. And I would sit there in the evening so I could be, you know, near him. We were falling in love. You know how that goes. And he would say, honey, you do not know how different they act the moment you walk out the door. And he wasn't talking about like one or two people. He was talking about everyone I sat with, everyone I stood and spoke to. I walked away and apparently they were all asshats. Or they just were not the same as they were when they were around me. And I wouldn't believe him about that for years. I found out uh, differently later, but let me share with you a few of the warning signs I've seen in my life. Is that okay? I haven't done any research for this episode, and I'm talking cold. So it's all coming from my memory. I have no idea what all I'm going to say. But I think that, no, the first thing that comes to mind is someone who flatters you a little too much. You know what I mean? One of the warning signs I missed a lot was that one with my partner. Um, Not with him. (laughs) We're not doing that today. 
But if someone was a certain way around only me and then was a whole different person somewhere else and there wasn't any way to reconcile the two, then someone may be, well, faking you out. Mm hmm. Yeah. For whatever weird, messed up reason they've got, they may be faking you out, pretending they're something they're not. I don't know what they need or what they think they want. It's still not authentic. I would rather have someone who is absolutely who they are, and that might be sometimes grumpy. That might be sometimes even needy. We'll, we'll get to that one, though. But whatever they are, as long as they are respectful to me and my circle and my home and my animals, I would rather have that. And then we've got the age-old one. You just got to count on it, y'all. I had someone very close in my coven, very, very, very close, who would speak horribly about me in a different circle. And didn't think it was all getting back to me all the time. I let that rock on about two more years. Mm-hmm. I guess it hurt my feelings so much that I didn't want to confront them. And I just, I just didn't, I didn't want it to be true. I should have walked. <laughs> I should have walked immediately. I should have never looked back. Ugh, what we do. Oh my God. Let's see what else. The needy thing. I might as well address it because it's right there. I think in a very close relationship, I am occasionally needy, aren't we all? I mean, at some point or some juncture, or something horrible happens to us or we're going through a thing. But if the conversation is always about them, if they never ask you how you are and give you that same space back, you might be in a very unhealthy relationship. <laughs> I mean, sometimes that, you know, you don't want to keep like a little log of it and go, okay, check. Now 30 minutes for me, check. But you know it when you see it. You know it when it's just become all about them and you're still there because you love them. You love them. You can love them somewhere else, honey. Because if they're not giving you something too, you're being used. And they don't even know it half the time. Well, they're half the time they do. So there's that needy issue, right? There's another one. I had someone in my life that when I wasn't looking, hurt my animals. Now, I don't mean that she did something horribly sadistic until the last thing, which actually was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back. But something about it, Spidey senses, you know, again, didn't feel right. And there were things I had noticed all the way up to that, y'all. I had a very old cat, and I do mean old, crotchety cat. I kept her in another room. She, she was very sweet and didn't like to be touched anymore, except by me. And this person walked into my kitchen during an event, and the cat was standing over by the counter. Um, by the way, it wasn't an open event. She wasn't supposed to be in my kitchen. And I walked in behind her. I'm like, oh. And she was like, oh, I was just looking for whatever. And I said, well, okay, let me help you out. And she decided to walk to the counter and the cat was in her way. So she just kicked my cat out of the way. And I said, whoa, whoa, she's old. Don't do that. She's like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it to come off so aggressive. What the hell was wrong with me? Why did I let that go? I heard 
that she held one of my cats up by their scruff. What the hell? No. These are not things you let go, right? No, no, it's psychotic. So it all reminds me of uh, I was living in Georgia. I was working at HBCU there as a professor and I was there for like one year. And I invited this woman who was a professor over there over to my home. And I had these big, beautiful bay windows on the front of that home. I had a really nice house over there. And when she pulled up and parked and started to walk across to come to the door, my Gatsby was sitting outside. Again, precious dog. He was just sitting there and he jumped up and wagged his whole body. He didn't bark. And he started to do that um, thing where he was like all excited that somebody was there. He didn't jump on her. Nothing. And she pulled back that high hill and kicked him as hard as she could. Mm-hmm. She knew he was there, by the way. She knew he was there. She had met him before. She'd been over before, but she didn't know I could see from where I was in the kitchen. And so I met her at the door and I said, hey, I'm, I'm not feeling up to it tonight. I'm really sorry you drove out here. I'll talk to you at work. And I closed the door and I wouldn't speak to her anymore. You know, I don't know how I forgot that lesson. But if someone is cruel to animals, watch them with animals. For me, at least. That's a rule. And I think it kind of ought to be universal. And then there's this other thing. Are there any witches out there or non-witches? But this actually might tell you something about yourself. Do you get a little tingle in the back of your head or like heat rising up your neck when someone is lying to you? I do. I do. And it doesn't have to be an obvious lie. It could be about something so mundane and I will get tingles all over me and I'll just know they're lying. Sometimes I just get that they're lying (laughs) voice in my head and I may nod, especially like if you're at a faculty meeting or something, Uh uh-huh, and let it go. But if they are in a relationship with you or want to be or want to be your friend, and we're not trusting that little tingly feeling that we're getting, well, eventually we'll find out what the lie was. And I, again, would rather someone just tell me the truth. Sometimes this is um, hard to talk about in our culture. I don't think we understand these moments. Sometimes people just outgrow each other. We're not in the same place anymore, and it's not um, healthy anymore. That happens. But more than anything, I think what I'm talking about today is a situation like I did with these two animals I told you about, Miss uh, Maggie May and Preacher, Preacher Man out there. I saw trouble coming. I just hoped it wouldn't. And I didn't trust my magic. It's important for us witches to talk about, especially us older ones, when we mess up. It's important for us to share our witchy mistakes. How are we going to learn ourselves if we don't admit that that's what they were? So, I mean, ego is just a magic killer, y'all. It is. I ignored these things. And if I hadn't have, it could have saved a whole lot of grief in the end. So I don't know. Y'all know my grandma always knew when somebody was lying to her. Always. It was a... Sixth sense, uh, seventh sense, whatever. (laughs) 
It was a sense all right, though. And you know, she would always squint one eye down. The eyebrow would drop with it. And I would see this look. I'd see this look at the Kroger or the Piggly Wiggly. When one of our friends would come up and start saying something, I'd see it when we were having a family dinner and some of her kin would say something she didn't quite believe. But I saw it the most whenever I was talking to her and trying to lie. I honestly do not think, I already am a pretty shit liar, by the way. It feels really hard to do now. I used to be good at it when I was young. I suck at it now. But she was just, she could look right in my soul. And <laughs> she would know instantly if I was trying to tell a lie. And I don't think I ever got one over on her. Not ever. And that squint she would do, it'd wither you. It really would. Maybe it was just the power of the squint. Because then you would just have to tell the truth. Yes, it was me. I ate the chocolate cake. Whatever. There was just no way out of that squint. And I asked her one time about that squint. And she said, it makes me be able to see better what the truth is. We all have our little thing, right? And to be honest, y'all, I have let some little white lies or whatever you won't call them, I've let them go. I have. Occasionally, you know, I feel them pass over me. I see them. I really regret that I always remember exactly what they were. My brain does that. So, you know, 10 years later, it's still sitting there. But upon occasion, I won't let it kill a relationship anymore. It depends. Was that law to protect someone you loved? Was that law to protect yourself? In certain situations, I could even see that, but not altogether in a situation that involves my own heart. So, I think it's imperative to trust our senses as witches. I mean, we all may have trouble with faith, y'all, from time to time, but the first faith we ought to be investing is in ourselves. And as witches, that starts really to the bone of who we are. And if we get that little twinkle and we see trouble coming and don't listen to ourselves, well, all we've done is put off having to deal with it. That's your best case scenario, by the way. Anyway, at the end of the day, I think it has more to do with us telling the truth to ourselves than anything else. Not lying to ourselves about a situation that we know we've got to end or deal with, or confront. I mean, might as well be honest about it, am I right? It ain't going anywhere, because we're not kicking it out. <laughs> so, all right, I have some ideas of where I want to take some podcasts soon. I hope this one wasn't too boring for y'all. I could have just had a little bit too much sangria last night, and uh, I'll get some good sleep, and drink a lot of water, and maybe I'll be okay by tomorrow. All right, y'all, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Y'all need to check out Hagcraft Farm, an organic farm that focuses on community, especially as it pertains to women, queer folk, and witches. Leanne, the resident farmer and crafter, makes every beautiful piece of clothing right there on her farm in Cordois Swamp along a tributary stream at the Blackwater River in rural Virginia. All of her fabrics used in her craft are made of natural fibers or remnants saved from a landfill. 
She focuses on making sizes that flatter all bodies and goes out of her way to craft any size with no extra charge whenever possible. At Hagcraft Farm, traditional sizing doesn't matter as she believes that such standards leaves out a lot of trans folks as well as anyone whose body is beautifully unique. Part of the fun at Hagcraft Farm is that they also represent an artist collective. Some of these magical pieces are designed by a collaborative effort between the farm and two other crafty ladies. Y'all need to check out those special runs of garments that have been rain dyed under full moons, as well as other sacred holidays. I know I'm obsessed, y'all, already with the traveler's cloak. It's gorgeous. And plan to be wearing one by Samhain. Hope y'all love this crafter as much as I do. Y'all can find these wondrous creations over at hatcraftfarm.com and also on Instagram. Support witches, y'all. Love y'all like chicken. Talk to you next week. Y'all have been listening to the Southern Fried Witch Podcast. Come back around next week for a little bit more magic from the deep south.